0: This is Kathleen Mercury. Welcome to another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. I'm super excited to have um, the prolific game designer, Jay Cormier, and please correct me if I said that wrong, um, on the show. Jay teaches game design, but also has designed, um, as part of the Bamboozle Brothers with uh, Sen Foon Lim, a number of titles, everything from the you know well-renowned Belfort to Junk Art and so many other different types of games in between. And especially since you're so prolific as a game designer, as well as teaching game design, I'm super, super excited that you were willing to be on the show. So thanks for being on the show.
1: Yay, thank you. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Cool. So, Jay,
0: why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, um, as far as who you are, what you do, how you do it. That'd be great.
1: Yeah, well, you gave a nice preface there, where I designed uh, pretty much most of my games with Sen, and uh, you mentioned some of the big hits there, which is great. And uh, I've I've, uh, ventured out with some other design partners, and I have a, a game hitting Kickstarter in a couple weeks, actually, or depending on when this is being listened to, February fifth, I think, Mm -hmm. with a different designer called In the Hall of the Mountain King. I have uh, um, all sorts of games coming out this year, which I won't go into details with because it's not the point of this interview. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I've been teaching at the Vancouver Film School uh, as part of their video game design program uh, for six years now. And, uh, yeah, loving it every time I get a chance to do it. It's a seven-week program um, where I do – because I have a, another job, this is an evening class for them. Mm-hmm. And so I come in and teach three hours uh, at a time for seven weeks, so 21 hours of education about game design.
0: Wow. So how does uh, – I've got so many questions about this. But how mm. does game design become part of a film school program?
1: Well, I, I'm not sure when the Vancouver Film School decided to branch out and start doing video game design mm-hmm. as a program. And it's a, a one-year intensive program. And it's super popular from the fact that they're always jam-packed. The st- classes are always packed with students, uh, international students, uh, local students. And uh, they learn everything they need to know to design video games within a one-year period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, And right up until the end where their last project, where they work on together to design their final video game, uh, we actually bring, uh, Vancouver Film School brings in industry folk in to their pitch to hear and see their their final video game and they you know the students all have resumes and business cards printed out and they get to the industry people walk around and get to actually play these video games and that's you know a lot of people get jobs like right there mm. from that kind of thing so in term one one of their courses that they have is with me is about board game design and game theory and learning about the mechanics and the iterative process of game design um, because that's something that they're obviously going to uh, learn <laughs> firsthand mm-hmm. once Start getting into video games.
0: Yeah, I it's I was um, at Gen Con's trade day, which is a day for educators um, on the Wednesday before Gen Con. And they went to a session for um, taught by two men at a university who wanted to do a video game project with students, and they thought it would take two weeks to design the game, and then the rest mm. of the semester to program the game. And then what they found out was it took a semester to design a game, and then mm. another semester to program the game. That The <laughs> game design part of the video game experience, they didn't consider how you know, important that was or how time consuming that was or how laborious or, you know, all the different iterations and all that. And I think especially when you think about video games, you know, there's, an, there's it's very clear that there is some sort of like cinematic narrative. And so it would make sense then having a really good understanding, not just of like the tabletop side, but to me, that, I guess that, that maybe makes sense more why a film school would broaden itself in that sort of direction to immerse that narrative along with the game.
1: Yeah, I believe so. I'm, I'm also uh, really happy with the fact that uh, so many students afterwards have told me that um, for the whole year program that the most they learn about actually video game design mm-hmm. was from the board game class yeah everything else is about programming and lighting and sound and effects and all these different things they have to learn to make a video game right but actually what they thought was making video games they learned most of that in my class about um, and 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 I've won a few times already they have awards every year uh, best class would consider they've been through four terms of intensive pro of mm-hmm. stuff and they remembered from term one that one class about board games was their favorite class. For the whole year so it's it's to stick with them
0: yeah that's really cool so when you've got kids who want to design games and it's your job then to teach them to walk them through analog what to you especially like from like the very beginning what do you focus on with them as far as games go
1: well i guess i should also say even though i said i only have 21 hours it's actually more like uh, 42 hours because concurrently with my class, they have mm-hmm. a class that's led by a TA that is literally just playing games. Mm-hmm. And I find this is mandatory oh, absolutely. as part of it. Cause um, it, I'm surprised that it's, I don't know, five to 10% of the students I ever get are familiar with the kind of games that I'm familiar with right. as far as game designer goes. Right. Um, and the rest, when I go around on the first day and ask them, you know, introduce yourself and tell me your favorite game it's, you know, 80 to 90% risk and monopoly and right. chess and magic and po- Pokemon. That's that's their entirety of, of what they know. And so when they start to play these games, they're like, oh my gosh, like Resistance has this deduction thing. That was so cool. I couldn't believe that. Mm-hmm. Or Through the Desert, it's like all you do is place camels down and that's, it's super easy, but et cetera, et cetera. They, they just get um, uh, uh, aware of all these right. different types of mechanics that games yeah. can be about. And I really try to erase um, uh, any kind of aspect of a role and move mm-hmm. that w- really early. <laughs> yeah. We talk while we talk about uh, my favorite class is is when we talk about decisions and types of decisions, and I go through all these different ways on uh, explaining blind decisions and meaningless decisions and all these different types of bad decisions and go through and then also go through good decisions and uh when you take a game like Snakes and ladders which we use all the time for da- various examples mm-hmm. it's actually a game that has zero decisions right there's, there's like no decisions in it and so that starts to plant the seeds in them early that it's like roll and move is is a tough one to make entertaining and engaging and have meaningful decisions
0: yeah well and it's funny because we're I teach game design to 7th graders, so, you know, 12, 13-year-olds, and what you're saying mirrors exactly what I have. And so my hope is by getting kids exposed to better games when they're younger, getting them designing and playing games, like imagine if you had some of those kids come into your school, you know? And so, and actually one of my uh, former students, his dad teaches at Wash U in St. Louis, and he said, what you're doing is exactly what I'm doing, and wouldn't it be great if we have kids doing it? And, I mean, I love game design. design so much and teaching it to kids because you know you just become such an active creator of ideas you know and what is their response like well because I mean so many things that you said we are just absolutely in sync on but when it comes to like actually creating those experiences what do you are there any kind of like landmark sort of moments or big things or patterns that even exist when students are suddenly in that position of creating games with you?
1: Um, when I first started teaching it, I noticed the first couple of classes I did, I was I did have a hill to climb in convincing them that a board game class was relevant to their uh, needs and interests as a video game designer. And mm-hmm. There was there was a handful of people that really kind of fought the idea that this class existed and they had to take it. Mm-hmm. And so it made me think as I had I went back into it, I'm like, okay, I gotta I gotta approach this a different way because this is not as this. I got to catch them. So I, I had a way in, at the beginning where I now ask them, like, why are we doing this? Like right off the top, why mm-hmm. are you doing a board game class when all you want to do is video games? And of course they have answers, which is great. And then I show a really cool, um, extra credits video. If you know, if you ever watch any of those extra credits videos and there's one about why is board game design mm-hmm. <laughs> important for video game designers and mm-hmm. it's just perfect. And it let's sets the foundation, which is great. And then Going forward, every, every single class, and mind you, my classes are three hours long, so they better have some sort of activities, but every class, they're designing games in every class. Mm-hmm. So uh, whatever the topic we're learning about, I'm like, all right, now you guys take this and turn it into this and figure it out. Uh, here's the theme here's the mechanic, or I'll, uh, maybe I'm teaching uh, about um, uncertainty or something like that, the role that chance or uncertainty has in games, and I'll say, all right, now I want you to take tic-tac-toe and add uncertainty to it to make it interesting and go and they give 15 20 minutes and they come up with an idea Mm -hmm. uh so they're always designing little games and then it leads culminates to their final project which is in teams to design a full fledged board game Mm -hmm.
0: and i think that's really interesting because in my classes generally speaking I've always sort of taken a, you know, we start with theme, we go to mechanics, we go, you know, you go back to theme, you know, kind of spiraling from there, we get into making prototypes, and I don't get into those sort of meta moments with them, because, you know, what, what you're talking about is about building that awareness, building gaming literacy, that's what yeah. I always call it, is such a huge part. And, you know, I mean, I have a full semester with kids every day, but still, I've got to get them from, you know, no knowledge of modern gaming to a substantial amount of modern gaming so they can at least pull ideas from. I mean, your kids are operating at a different level where they're able to really understand these sorts of abstract concepts as they relate to games. You know, I'm trying to get kids to stop replicating, you know, the draw deck in Candyland or whatever the case (laughs) case may be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How do you when it comes, because especially when it comes to like, you know, teaching and your objectives, because as you told me before we started recording, you've had a lot of ability to change and modify your games. And I'm asking this honestly, as much as for anybody else, but when you're wanting to have students address, like, how do you really craft your lessons around the objectives you're trying to meet?
1: It always comes down to engagement. I'm not the kind of teacher that will talk for an hour, two hours, three hours. Like, I don't sit there and talk. Right. I want them to be doing it. so uh, I have to, like I don't even introduce feedback loops. I'll just say, let's play a game. I give everyone some dice, and we play a little push-your-luck game, mm-hmm. and it's great, and everyone laughs and has a good time. It's a very quick type game. I just made it up. It's just like, it's not even a game. It's just something really silly. Mm-hmm. And they play it, and I say, okay, now, uh, at the end of the, every round, uh, whoever's in the lead uh, gets a little token, and it gives them this extra benefit. Now play it again. And they play it again, and they're all like, "That's not fair." This person had the token; they had the token for the whole time. Oh, interesting. Well, let's play it again a third time. But whoever's in the, uh, in the last place, they get the token, and they get this benefit. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Oh, everyone's like, yeah, that was much more fair because it allowed the person to catch up." I'm like, "Okay, well, you guys just learn feedback loops." Mm-hmm. Like, we- right there so th- so then they, they catch on to it uh, a lot quicker when they have done it yeah and they can do it and say oh yeah that was what that was
0: right well and I it's because I'm also working with um A video game company actually did to develop some game lessons for the classroom and I can't talk about it too much because it's all very exciting um but it's but it's basically taking that sort of more meta approach with my students and I'm really interested you know for myself how I'm going to teach this because it's a very different approach you know um as opposed to you know sort of like these like tangible things that we could sort of hold on to like you know let's talk about worker placement let's talk about this as opposed to like the larger kind of gaming structures. Yeah. I'm really super interested. Um,
1: I talk, I talk about it as, as, all these different things, I ta- I say, they're tools and levers for designers to pull. Mm-hmm. So here's another lever for you to pull. Uh, uncertainty is a lever for you to pull. I'm not saying more uncertainty is better or less uncertainty is better. I'm just saying this is a lever, and you got to figure out where, where to put it. Mm-hmm. But let's understand uncertainty, and let's understand feedback loops and story arc, and all these different other things. And these are all your levers to pull. Now you got to now that you understand this vocabulary, like you talked about. Uh, now let's you know make games.
0: Do you feel like you've become a better game designer from teaching game design?
1: I can only imagine that I I have. That's a good question. It's hard to know if it's just from continued experience designing games or if it's from Mm -hmm. the teaching aspect. Um, But I, yeah, I don't, that's, uh, I don't know if I've been cognizant of like, oh, this is this because of that. I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, because I consider myself a, you know, (laughs) middling sort of game designer i've got you know some stuff going but you know like i feel like it's still just i mean for me personally like it's still such a struggle you know to come up with something new and innovative and everything and you're and you've done so much you know i guess i'm wondering i guess what special sauce i can steal from you (laughs) as far as like how you're teaching game designs to benefit my own but i think as far as you know for teachers who are wanting to design games for the classroom is there anything that you could share that, from your experience, that could benefit um, the development of like con- more content-based lessons, or you know, from teaching game design at your level? Um, I mean, I mean, this is a very big question. That's it's hard a to big, answer. I'm the top trying of to like,
1: uh, like, uh, I guess I when I adopted the course, uh, it was from some previous instructor, and I, I didn't, I, I mean, I. I I didn't agree necessarily with all the things that were and how it was done and it, was, it felt very much like a lot of talking and there was no, there was literally zero examples or activities or uh, breakouts of any kind. I'm like, right. this is, maybe he did them or the person did them. I have no idea, but they, they weren't in the, in the curriculum in the teacher syllabus. But um, I, I I guess the only thing is what kind of said it already is just the fact that I just got to keep them engaged all the time. Like, okay, mm-hmm. now let's, we talk about, like, gamer archetypes. I'm like, okay, here's the different types of archetypes that gamers can be and why that's important. Now let's change snakes and ladders to appeal to each gamer archetype. Break it up into groups and you each have a different archetype. Mm. And and then I try to – for me, I have to continue to relate it back to video games. Why is this important to video game design? Why do you need to know this? And so that's something I'm always trying to tie back. That doesn't necessarily apply to uh, uh, other educators. mm mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe keep asking questions, and I'll I'll get around to more.
0: A <laughs> no, that's better okay. Better answer than that. No, that's okay. <laughs> uh, because that was uh, that was kind of a like big question out of left field. So as far as like when you teach your class, so you have a pretty short amount of time Mm -hmm. to get a lot of really big ideas across. You know, what are the most important things that you think kids should walk away from? At least like, let's talk about like your very first class, that introductory class. What are the most important things kids need to walk away from that class with?
1: Yeah, it was, it's funny because the, the, um, courses changed every time I'm assuming this is true for many teachers that you do a class and you get your feedback is based on how well kids do on their uh, assignments and tests. And you're like, you know, some of that's my responsibility, obviously, as far as like, okay, people obviously didn't understand this. So I'm going to change. And so you continually tweak your, your program. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've reduced even though the class name is game theory analog, is the name of the actual class. I've actually reduced the amount of game theory we talk about mm-hmm. uh, because I find that not as practical. Obviously, with the word theory in it, right? <laughs> uh, and I, 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 I kind of glance through it just so they ha- have some of the words and they understand things like prisoner's dilemma and minimax mm-hmm. strategies and these kind of things, just so they understand it and go through some quick examples. Um, and, but as far as um, the very first class, so I guess I was saying the first time I taught it, I, I, I found it was too bloated with things that weren't as necessary and I, I didn't get to the good stuff as much as I wanted to and now I am. Mm-hmm. And so the first class, besides the general introductions and all that kind of stuff, is mostly on uh, mechanics and theme. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going through all sorts of different things, getting their opinions on uh, what it is. But I go through it pretty quick And I just said, this is what worker placement is. Here's an example of it. And I go through, and I'm just like, boom, 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 going through, because as you said, I don't have tons of time, so I I go through it. And uh, I get them to design in groups a game where I give them uh, the mechanic, and I just literally use roll and move, because they're all very familiar with that, Mm -hmm. and say, you guys come up with a theme, whatever you want. Uh, The goal is to get to 100, just like a snakes and ladder type thing. But then once you have the theme, then I want you to start changing the game to support that theme, and however you want And then people just start coming up with crazy fun ideas of like, okay, I guess you're being chased by a bear or, uh, it's pirate ships racing towards a treasure. I'm like, okay. And then what what else would you expect in that game? And they just start designing. And then after that, I then flip it and I say, okay, now I'm going to give you a theme and I want you to design three games in the next 15 minutes, three games in 15 minutes. Uh, and when I say design, I mean literally just an idea on paper, no actual anything. Um, with, that's based on this theme, and each one uses a different mechanic, and so we've we've went through about twenty different like key mechanics, and they right. have to pick one and make it make a game. Yeah. with the same thing.
0: Yeah, I spent my my kids spend the first week or I mean like the first month um, is spent playing just honestly just playing a lot of games because well, they yeah, have to like have just, you know get that gaming literacy yes and, yes. Um, but I think what's interesting is my first project for kids after they've played a bunch of really short fun fast games like Get Bit Sushi Go yes, yeah, Sushi Go hey that's my fish that yeah. sort of thing I have them do kind of the opposite actually is I have them make a race game um where, you know, the objective and the goal is the same, be the first to cross the line. But I don't let them use roll and move. And they're supposed to take oh, mechanics from all these other games and employ them into it. And what happens is they go from, oh, Miss Mercury, can we um not have the winner be the first person to cross the line? But, you know, whoever has the most points. And then their games just go all over the place because I give them that design constraint that they have to sort of work in. But now I'm thinking about... You know, kind of flipping the script the way you do is is having them do roll and move, but then, you know, playing around with these other sorts of ideas. And I think that's Well, really- they
1: start they start adding in their own mechanics. They're like, okay, well, what if you did this and, and then you could choose and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And then obviously we don't market. We don't – we just kind of verbally take, you know, share your ideas and that's it. We move on and then we never look at them again. But that's uh, – it's just the idea of going through – since this is their first time designing game in my class – they all are familiar with roll and move. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one of the reasons why we do it that way.
0: Well, and I think that's interesting because, you know, my whole point of giving them the race game structure is that it's a very comfortable structure to work Mm -hmm. with. You're making it even more comfortable for them to play around with. And I think, you know, that's a really good idea I should consider adopting because if if their first games can only get better – Then I'm putting them, I'm starting them off on a strong sense of confidence, I would think, Mm -hmm. that I can make changes to a game, and it can work, or they can fix them quickly, whereas where I'm having them do it, where kids are doing like kind of like secret identities, or all these different things, Mm -hmm. they may not work, and it's hard for them to see success, even if they make it marginally better after the first round Mm -hmm. of iteration
1: and and that's yeah, exactly and the, to clarify for me we literally spend 15 20 minutes on it and we don't make a prototype or anything oh, okay. for these ideas this is just let's start, come up with some ideas write it down uh-huh. share it and we move on because again i have 3 hours right. to do both of those exercises and move on
0: right right yeah i have i have the actual time in which to do it and um yeah that's that's uh it's really funny though because uh, it's interesting uh, and that's what mm-hmm. i love about Honestly, talking with I think I say this at at some point every single episode, but especially since I don't work with that many, I don't I don't work with anybody in my school who also uses teaches game design. So (laughs) this is as helpful for me, hopefully, as it is for people listening. You know, like I'm not just here for the audience. This is totally mining for my own classes, totally selfishly. Um, Yeah, actually, for the second thing you said, the three games that are based on different mechanics, I use the game Unpub because it's got all the different mechanics on cards, and I'll deal them out to kids, and then. They have to come oh, up fair. with. They have to come up, use a theme from one card and two mechanics, and propose some sort of idea. And I've had kids come up with their like the idea for their project just based on those sorts of like little fun, you know, kind of ideas that they've come
1: up with. That's probably better from a perspective of like it's forced because I do see people, the students, looking up at the the projector where it's got the list of the twenty mechanics we just reviewed, mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, what can we choose? And they're trying to think of which one right. to choose. Right. And I'm like, just choose one. It doesn't matter. Just choose any. Right. I'm like, I'll, I'm going to choose one for you. Okay, you got area control will
0: go. Yeah. Like, so I would so so Unpub is great because it's yeah, got it's a good ton good. of mechanics. The other one is uh Daniel Zayas had a game called Mechanisms and he did a Kickstarter for it and the Kickstarter didn't fund, but you can get the print and play uh, mechan- and This is good for anybody wanting to do game design. If you go into Board Game Geek, look up the game Mechanisms, and you can download the black and white print and play version and every card. So it might have like action selection. And then on the card itself is a description of the mechanic. Oh, and then, like cool. in a game, and then actually, I think the way the- that. Yeah, so. And, the, and then there's like a blank where it's like, so and so designed a game that features this. And, you know, the goal is to like have, like, you know, I think they're going to try to kickstart it again, but you would have the designer sign off on that card if you mm. ever got a chance to. And then maybe okay. it would become magical or something. I don't know. Um,
1: and also, as a tangent, uh, which we may talk about later, is that I, uh, I have a Kickstarter coming up for a game designer journal. And yeah. it also has a uh, game idea generator that has. Mechanics and themes uh, uh, as a random generator in there as well. So
0: it well, let's actually same idea. No, no, no. Let's. Tol- let's I actually. Uh, that's. I want to talk about that, and that's actually what put us in contact because um, I saw that you posted something about the upcoming Kickstarter. I signed up for the newsletter. I messaged you um, about you know teaching game, and then lo and behold, we're here. So <laughs> no, and I think it's. I think it's really good because you know there's a lot of different types of game journals out there, and even from my own work in game design work with other designers, working with developers, everyone seems to have their own sort of process on how they record information about playtests, on the types of questions they ask. What did you, so for, and I think this journal is honestly something I would want to adopt for my students too. So Mm -hmm. what did you put in that's designed to help um the designer and I think this is relevant too for teachers because a good teacher is an incredibly reflective teacher and that's one thing I like about game design is it kind of mirrors that sort of, you know, teaching skill. So I think there's definitely overlaps even just with teaching. But so talk about this journal and what you're putting into it.
1: Yeah, I mean um uh, the quick history of it is last year i held this small small stupid little convention i call it stupid just because it was it was my birthday and I invited uh, other designer friends of mine to come over mm-hmm. uh and i rented a spot to do it and uh just for fun I, I don't know how i got the idea but i'm like i'm just gonna put this little journal together of like so people can t- for designers give it away as a little free gift to everybody that came to this event mm-hmm. and I, so i did i printed it at staples and just did it on my own dime and gave everyone free and everyone like started really liking it and asking for more and other people that didn't come they're like can I get one of those journals, and so it made me think. I'm like, well, maybe there's something to it. And so I uh, got a ton of feedback, uh, tweaked it a bunch, and hired a graphic designer, made it look all pretty and whatnot, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, doing the whole thing with Kickstarter. And the concept is that the the, the crux of it is there's uh, 36 pages, and it it, it guides the designer. On the notes they need to take that are going to be beneficial to them in order to get their game better and eventually, hopefully, published. Mm-hmm. And so, everything from uh, the layout is like obviously things like here's your play, put put your playtesters' names here. But it even says on there put them in turn order. That's going to help you later on when you're assessing if there's a start or fi- a last player advantage disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Just nobody even thinks that when you write down who, who tested it. Well might as well put them down in player order. Right. I even put a little checkbox that if this is the first time they've played the game, check it off so you can count how many uh, unique players have played your game because that's gonna be important to understand the breadth of opinions you have on your game. Mm-hmm. If only four or five people have ever played it. Then there's different columns for scores so you can keep track of all the different types of scores or you could put in their timing thresholds. You if you want to say how long it takes to get to the first battle you can write that in there. Uh, then it has slots for all the different times. When did you start explaining the rules? When did you finish explaining the rules? When did you start playing the game? When did you end the game? Uh, and when did you end the game? At the end of the game? Or did you end up only after round three or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, it has sections there to uh, uh, put down before the playtest. What do you want to focus on? What are the rules changes you're focusing on in this playtest that you don't want to forget? Uh, then a section for observations, a section for uh, the winning player strategy so you can keep track over time of like, it seems like uh, people that go after marble in this game always win i wonder if that's mm-hmm. almost too powerful and then the feedback section which is the largest section for notes uh has questions at the top and those questions change on every page and they progress assuming that your t- your game is very uh, alpha based at the beginning and by the end of the book it's getting more towards gamma tips and questions
0: oh that's really cool well the bottom I think... go ahead
1: i'll have a bit more yeah the bottom of it has a pro tip on every page that again Takes you from gamma to uh, all the way to uh, sorry from alpha all the way to gamma, Uh, and then it's full of some other tools as well. So I've I've actually gamified the process of Mm playtesting, which I think is pretty fun. So I've identified the ten behaviors that I think if you do these behaviors uh, will make you a better game designer. And as you do them, you flip open to the uh, inside cover, and there's all these little progress bars, and you shade them in as you're doing these different behaviors. And every once in a while, there's a little badge icon. When you get to a badge icon, you actually flip to the front cover and you get to put a little badge on the front cover, kind of like a Boy Scout sash showing that you've done these things. Mm -hmm. Then when you go from one journal to the next, you actually count up how many badges you have and you put that number in the top badge and that's cumulative over time. And There's stickers that would go on there saying, I'm now a novice, I'm an apprentice, I'm a professional game designer, whatnot. There's also, as I said, a game idea generator where you roll two, two dice and you come up with a different theme, mechanic, and constraint. And if you didn't don't have two dice, it's actually kind of cool. You can flip to any page and there's a 2D6 result oh, in the fun. bottom corner. Yeah. So Jay a, is
0: flipping through and he's showing what the book looks like. And it's great. It's got a really... Uh, simple, clean sort of layout to it. Um, it has a
1: fold-out scoreboard on the back, so that if you forgot a scoreboard and you need one, you can use it, and it folds out so that you can still take notes oh, is, uh, while you're doing your your feedback. That's so thoughtful. And well, and I love it too because you here. could have
0: it for one game, and that journal can take you through the whole process per game.
1: That's the idea, and I think most people would want to do it that way, so you can actually flip through and see it progress the game right. as you like. Oh, here's this game. This oh yeah, and you could follow it along, but. Uh, I don't want to pigeonhole people. You could literally just buy one and just do, and if you're designing three games. You could just keep writing different ones, but I think it works better as one game. Yeah. Even in the, in the front, there's even a section here to write your own goals of what you're trying to accomplish. And those also have progress bars and uh, badges to earn. Oh, that's so cool. yeah, uh, it's, I'm pretty excited about it. I've got game crafter on board. They're doing like a $5 coupon in every journal so that you can get some discounts on, uh, on their site. Uh, if you're familiar with them, they do a lot of the uh, – mm-hmm. if you need any components or if you want to actually upload your games and whatnot and uh, buy other games, you can do that at GameCraft. You mm-hmm. print on demand. But, uh, yeah,
0: well, I love so. that it's it's like it's a teaching tool in and of itself. I mean through this journal, it's not just a place to record ideas, but you're teaching people how to be not just a That's good right. – Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of white space, but it's structured so you know exactly what goes where and how you can put that. And so, and this is what I think, you know, when it comes to teaching game design, is teaching. You know, how to work through that process. I mean, maybe people aren't really aware if they have a game idea and they want to start something that they may not realize that there is an alpha, there's an, a beta, there's a, a gamma sort of phase, that there are different types of things that they should be looking at at different stages. And that's one thing, like, for me personally is I've been – um spending a lot of time with people who are game developers, I mean, designers, too, you can't be a developer without doing design, but especially the ones who are focused on the development of games. And that's an entirely different approach when it comes to the game itself. And so especially when talking about like refinement and, you know, stress tests and all these other different things and i like that the game your journal and the reason also why i'm saying this is this year i'm totally changing around how i do my assessment for my students and instead it's they're saving everything in their folder so they can create this sort of progression and i'm interested in this journal too as far as ideas i could adapt from it because I teach 75, 80 kids a semester, so I don't know that I'll be able to buy 75 or 80 of your journals, but at least adapt some of that sort of like process from it to what we're doing so that they can think more critically about what they're designing as they're working on it.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there will really be a print and play online so you can get a couple pages and print it out and photocopy it.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, I'm a big fan of that. I mean, I put. You know, I've been sharing all my game design resources with the world for years, so um, I'm always happy to, uh, you know, s- uh, to share the love with others as well. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. Um, huh? So, what are you most excited about for it? What do? You, what would you love to see happen from this journal?
1: I mean, uh, it was such a. Like I've never done a Kickstarter on my own. I've I've had many of my games go on Kickstarter, but I've never been responsible for it. Right. So this is an interesting learning curve for me to figure out all the you know manufacturing and shipping and all these kind of weird things. It's it's a, it's a crazy big job, and it makes me appreciate the role of a publisher in the relationships I have with them mm-hmm. a lot more. Uh, but I, I mean, I'd be excited if if it would just people liked it and, and use it, like I'd be happy if like, this is cool. This I want to use this. And people use it and say, yeah, this actually helps me with my habits and makes me uh, you know, a better game designer or whatever. That'd be, I mean, fantastic. I'd love it for it to uh, take off. And I've, I've, I've sent it out to a bunch of, you know, well-known game designers that I'm, that I know personally uh, it, uh, a month ago to see if I could get some feedback and quotes from them about what they thought of it. And I'm starting to get some of those to trickle in now and they're, currently all very positive. Well, that's good. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it, I mean, yeah, I, I, like I said, I just, I really like that, you know, instructional sort of component to it when it comes to that. I mean, and for myself, or I've got three games that I'm working on that are all in various stages, and my notes are totally scattered all about. And I think that doesn't necessarily help me when I'm trying to remember what was the most recent thing that I worked on, but, you know, we're all doing the best we can sometimes. <laughs>
1: yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and part of this came out of the fact that in my class, I teach and I provide them a two page playtesting uh, uh, sheet. Mm-hmm. But part of that is because I actually market it's when they, they actually have to hand in those and to prove that they've done a certain amount of playtests, mm-hmm. uh, cl- including one blind playtest. And so, par- so part of it came out of, there was some very loose uh, version of that came from that. And then part of it came from the fact that when I designed with send, um, he's obviously in a different, well, not obviously for many people, but for me, it's obvious he's in a different province. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's halfway across the, the country and, uh, I have to be able to communicate to him, uh, what happened in the play test that I'm doing and vice versa. So I can't be too willy nilly and just like sit there listening go and go and hear all the feed. I have to write it all down. So, uh, that, that's kind of partially how they, the journal became born. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, when it comes to your students and their sort of design process, are there certain things that I'm trying to think of the question that I'm trying to ask here? Um, um, I find st- that
1: the I find that the students get uh, um, uh, I don't know if motivated or uh, directed towards the types of games they make based on the games they played that they liked in the first part of the uh, term where they're playing all sorts of games. So, so I, I do see a lot of like deduction games because they play Secret Hitler, they play mm-hmm. uh, uh, Love Letter, and uh, resistance and some of the people just fall in love with it because they had no idea games could be like that and -hmm. so they want to make a game like that and so i see a lot of those come up which is always nice i
0: i I would say definitely the same so the types of games i put in front of my students are the types of games they want to make and i recently put a post on um the uh, card and board game designers guild on uh bgg asking for Um, Asking for games and recommendations based on sort of the design constraints for my students. And, um, and so it was interesting, you know, I don't have them play social deduction games in my class, because otherwise, that's what they will want to design. I don't have them play dexterity games, because, especially as someone who has a dexterity game coming out, it's really about so much about the components and the quest for the perfect components. And so that can be uh, problematic. And I don't have them. I have them play cooperative games because each one tends to have five or Mm -hmm. six sort of different mechanics going on. So they give us a lot of discussion points, but the board has to be a viable fifth player that, beats you about 60% of the time. And that's really Mm. hard to design. So I don't, I don't, so that I let them play cooperative games. And once I explain that, then they're usually okay with why I don't want them designing that. But I think you're totally right. The games you have students play are the games that uh, they will definitely want to make. And that has been my
1: experience too. And over time I found that I've been adding more and more constraints to their uh, final assignment and project mm-hmm. um, to make them a bit more targeted because early on, all of them would get scope creep like crazy where they would be like, you know, it'd be cool. Add this to the game. Oh yeah, we should add this and this and this. And it becomes ginormous. Right. And it was a bit selfish at first because some of these games were a monster to try and play and mark. Right. Because it was like, it's so big and so grandiose. Like, dude, like, you know, bring it in a bit. rein mm-hmm. it in. And so uh, I said, now the rules are it's got to be playable under an hour. Mm -hmm. It has to have no more than 10 components in the component list. Whereas like one deck of magic cards is one component. Okay. Um, And, uh... Has to have, I say, I say either a euro or a merit trash, and and we still kind of loosely talk about those as two types, even though those categories are kind of fading away nowadays. Sure, uh, or blending, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but I say, it's, be, mostly I say it's got to be one of those two because I don't want them designing a party game in this class because I want them to really explore meaningful decisions and mm-hmm. and, under, and that kind of a space. Yeah, um, and that's mostly where the marks come from. Is is, is that? Uh, well,
0: so I, so let's talk about assessment then. So for the for the end they. Can- <laughs> come up with a game yeah you play the game how do you assess them on what are you looking for and how do you grade it yeah
1: 30 percent of it is on the gameplay where it's like well, you know the mechanics balances is there, is there feedback loops that work uh is it the theme match is it fun uh is there a story arc all these things that's that's 30 percent so they could have a game that just is not fun at all, and they still could get 70% out of, on the class. Mm-hmm. Because I have 25% is on the rules, and this is after having done a rules assignment earlier. I make them do um, an assignment where they have to write the rules for a silly little game that they designed in one of my classes. It was adding uncertainty to tic-tac-toe. Mm-hmm. Write the rule book for that. And I have another uh, tip on rule books. If we come back to that later. Sure. Uh, That's really cool. So, um, that's 25% but I always tell them I say you know what rule books is worth even more than 25% because if I cannot understand how to play your game Correct. then your game, all the gameplay marks are going to suffer too right? because I'm going to be playing it wrong right. so that's how important your blind play test is to make sure someone is reading your rules and trying to play from it because that's what I'm going to be doing I'm going to be blind play testing your games
0: right and that's what we talk about too is if somebody can't understand your game what will they do in real life they will put the paper back in the box and they will close the box and they will pick up something else Yes. and if you can't explain your ideas and this is actually, actually, I'm really interested in your ideas about rule books because um, normally I teach about. You know, thir- 35, 40 kids per semester, but this semester I have all of my seventh grade. And so that means 75 to 80. So I'm playing with the idea of letting them design with a partner, which I've never done before, which maybe you can <laughs> set some light on that too. But the other thing is, is I'm thinking about having them make their games print and play. Because at the end of the semester, I make a big geek list. I post all of their games on there on BGG. And I think it would be really cool if there was actually a link to the game. So not only could you, mm-hmm. what what it's been for the past ten years is here's a description, here's a picture, and they answer questions based on that. But to actually put the rules of their game out there, I think is really super cool. That's, good. That's fun. Yeah, but these are also <laughs> twelve and thirteen year olds. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> That's so, cool. That's cool.
0: Yeah. So any so, help on rule books from your perspective yes, is great.
1: I'll get to that in a 2nd I'll just finish the uh, breakdown of the final assignment. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so percent, uh, 20% is literally just on playtest documentation. So do they have the right playtest documentation? That's kind of like the show your work part of Uh (laughs) of it to show that they've playtested it five times. I read through that to see, did they actually implement any of the changes? And I actually comment on like, it said two or three times in your feedback that this is broken and then you didn't address it in any iteration. Either they're faking it and writing all their playtest reports up on the last day, mm-hmm. or they're not listening to their to the feedback. So either way, it's not good. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there is 10%. They do have a presentation, like an actual live presentation where they present their game mm-hmm. to everybody. And that's more to prepare them for the video game program at VFS, where the very last thing they do as part of VFS is present their video game to the industry. Mm-hmm. And so I, w- I want to be part of the process of... Uh, nurturing and guiding them on presentation skills in in a safe environment. Um, So that's part of it. Uh, I think there's 10 marks on polish, which is, uh, and this is where I say, like I know some of you here have great artistic skills and are going to be doing some great things with your video games, uh, but there's no need for that here. You can do it if you want, but you can see it's only worth 10% of your mark to do polish. And part of that is... Is uh, just functionality, not just beauty. Just functionality. Right. I don't. Right. I don't give you better marks because it looks great. You might get a bonus <laughs> mark, I guess, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then I give them five marks. This was an idea from, pre, from students. I always ask at the end of every class. I say, "What could I do to, with my next students to make this class better?" And one idea came up, and it's been working: is uh, give the marks in their final assignment to play test other people's games. Hmm. So they have to play test five other people's games. Uh, and write them down when when they played them and who they played. Um, and that's because some some classes depending on where people live and whatever they are having a hard time getting people to play test their games so they, they have to figure that out now to play each other's games which is great and, and I give them some class time to do it as well so they, they almost have enough time in class to do it but.
0: right right do they um, do play tests with non-classmates do those count if they
1: want absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. oh for sure yeah, for sure yeah,
0: yeah I always try to get kids to they think I'm loony every time when I suggest that they play their game by themselves but I always try to get them but now especially Especially if I have kids working in pairs, having a lot of you know play tests just with their partners before they introduce it to other people will certainly yes. be a lot
1: easier. Now, I would I, I um, originally started as doing individuals. Then I asked if I could go to partners. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a, it's a lot to mark at the end. Not, I mean, I I have to, I get all the TAs involved, and we all sit together for a day, and we mark and play all the games, and 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 uh, I, I have to sit with all of them, and it's fine and everything, but. You know, marking 30 different board games is... Yes. Fif- 15 is a lot better, for example.
0: Right, right. Uh, I understand this well.
1: <laughs> also, it was an easy pitch because um, at VFS, every project thereafter is in teams for them, like in every class. Like right. The final exam, uh, final project, uh, everything's in-, in teams. So it starts again working them with the idea of working in teams. Mm-hmm. Now talking about, one of segue to rules?
0: Well, so let's talk about partnerships because sure. I, I, I made a post on BGG talking about um, these changes I was making, namely uh, the print and play idea, which people were like, yep, sounds great. And then when I talked about having them work in partners, that generated some very strong responses. Everything up to and including working on one particular group project ruined my educational experience Completely, you know, (laughs) very strong responses to working in partners and, and I've always held to the idea of wanting kids, I mean, they play test their game with almost everybody in class at some point. And so I've, I've, but I've like, I've held on to that idea of like giving them that autonomy and full control ownership over the project. But I also have a lot of different and. It's not just driven because of the numbers. That's certainly part of it. But, you know, what are the benefits? Can, what measures can I take to ensure that their partnerships are productive and balanced and fair?
1: If you pitch it this way to them, saying, uh, and, and get them to, don't pu- push it to them, pull this out of them, but say, game design, designing board games or any kind of games for that matter, is all about communication. Mm hmm. And obviously that's a big part of what the rule book is, but everything about what you're doing, you're trying to communicate to your players, this is a good thing to do, that's why you get rewarded, this is a bad thing to do. This is, and, and you're communicating to your players uh, through the rule books and everything, and that's the same thing you're doing, when you're doing when you're with partners. It's all about communicating, and that's how I try to sell it, why rule books are important, for example, to video game design uh, uh, students. I'm like, why do we have to do a rule book? You're never going to do a rule book again for the rest of your lives because you're going to be doing video games. And they answer it. And they're like, well, because blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah. And they, they beat around the bush. And I'm like, you're basically all saying it's the same thing. It's like, it's all about communication. It's all about mm-hmm. your need to be able to articulate. And when you're working on a team and you, and you have an idea for something and you pass that off to somebody else who has to execute it, If they don't have a full, 100% clear understanding, they deliver something. You're like, no, no, no. What are you doing with the gravity? That's not how I wanted that to go. You're like, that's exactly what you said, though. Like, you have to be clear. So it really helps uh, working in partners and teams to start working on that communication, even uh, as a team.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, and actually, they want to. And I'm usually the one that will say, I show this one meme of a casket being lowered into the ground. And it says, I want my Group members to be pallbearers at my funeral, so mm. they can let me down one more time. <laughs> uh-huh. I know it's it, it's harsh. It's a little dark. It's funny though. They're, they they that's fine. Uh, no complaints yet from parents, but you know, there's I might. Like-
1: yeah, yeah. I might have a benefit being the fact that these people want to be here.
0: Generally, mm-hmm. like they're
1: in a video game design program. Yes, and so they're you know they want to proceed. They want to do well. They, all this kind of stuff. I'm not saying not all. You know, thirteen-year-olds want or not well, want to be there, but they're
0: all in the gifted program and they all have to take oh. this class. And so, you're totally oh, cool. right. That's one of the things I think is interesting about this. Is I've got kids who are super into games. And I've got kids who don't really like games. And at the end of the day, they're both making a game by the end of the project. So, right. I mean, like one kid, we were talking about Candyland, and he had never played Candyland. The kids looked at sure. it, and he's like, what? We never played Candyland. But then in the next, literally the next thing we were talking about, he was referencing playing Power Grid at home with his family. <laughs> so, I mean, and I've worked with his brother and sister, and the dad teaches game theory at uh, a university here in St. Louis. Awesome. So. Slightly different at home yeah, yeah. family, but still. That's funny. Yeah, but still in the <laughs> same room with kids who, you know, maybe don't want to be there. And I mean, and I've talked about this, about failure and, you know, all kinds of other things, because when my kids fail, it is blisteringly palpable, it is tangible, and it has mm. to be addressed because – I don't care if they ever design a game again. You know, I'm, I'm teaching game design, so they learn all of these different, like, skills associated with design itself, not necessarily board games, you know, so that they can carry on into life. And so protecting the little people matters a lot more to me than how good their game is. I don't actually emphasize their game at all, really, at the end, in terms of that. It's all about... Um, Listening to feedback, collaboration—all about those communic- communication skills because that's really what I want them to learn. But yeah, so tell me your uh, rule book tricks. I'm excited about this.
1: This is it's like I I literally just taught it last uh, Thursday, the the best way ever. I, I've been slowly working up to it, and this last Thursday was the best. It was just like it was just awesome, and I was so excited about it. So uh, first off, I get them into groups of three or four. I give everybody uh, eight little. Uh, cue cards, Mm -hmm. blank cue cards, and I say, First, I start off by saying, What are all the sections that you would see in a rule book, generally speaking? Because they played enough games by now, and they they generally get them out uh, with some pulling, you know, like, Oh, there's a setup, yeah, setup, so put that at the top of one of the cue cards, setup, Mm -hmm. a theme or flavor, yeah, put that at the top of one, uh, uh, etc., etc., and they go through, there's about seven or eight of them, Mm -hmm. okay, great. And then I say, Okay, now in your teams, I got, I want you to come up with the rules for snakes and ladders super simple game. There's no decisions in it. It's super simple. Mm-hmm. Just write the rules and put them on each of those cue cards, the section, right? Here's the setup. Write that here. Here's the turn details. Write that here, etc., cetera, etc. cetera, et cetera. Okay, they write them all down. I walk around and I try not to, this is the key thing that I changed this time. I try not to get uh, any feedback. I'm like, okay. Oh, interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. sure. And I just look around. I'm like, cool, cool. Okay, everyone done? Okay, great. Then I show this video and it is it's awesome on so many levels. I I'll, I'll I'll provide the link to you later, but it's basically a dad and his two kids. And he asks them to write instructions on how to make a peanut butter and jam sandwich. Mm -hmm. And they keep coming back to him and he follows it to a T his instructions mm-hmm. put the put the peanut butter on top of the uh, you know spread that on top of the bread and he spreads it on top of the bread like on the top <laughs> part and the kids are like dad no that's not what i meant I'm, so, that's, I'm just reading what you wrote right and the whole thing is everyone's laughing which is great it's just a great video everyone's just laughing there and it keeps coming back and they keep failing over and over and over again and finally you know i won't spoil it but whatever mm-hmm. and then after the video all i see is Does anybody want to take another minute or two to go back at your rules? (laughs) And they're all going, Yes. And they all dive back in. And now I go around, and the ones that think are cocky and they think they're done, I'd be like, Oh, okay. I always ask uh, to see their turn details. That's usually where they script the most. And every single time, the first sentence, I'm like, I have an issue with the first sentence. They're like, What? And I just leave it at that and let them, like, they're looking at it. And sometimes I'll give an example or something like that. I'm like, first of all, like, you say, who's rolling? Like, it just says players roll the dice. I'm like, who who rolls the dice? And, like, and they start to, like, their minds start exploding because they're like, how specific do we have to be? I'm like, just imagine no one's ever played this before. Like, I don't know how to do it. Right. And then w- one key thing that, that is, they always say is, like, when you land on the base of a ladder, move to the top of the ladder. First of all, they'll some will say when you land on a ladder, move to the top. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's not correct. You right. Land anywhere on a ladder? No. And then they say when you land on the on the base of a ladder, move to the top. I'm like, oh, is that is that exactly correct? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. And I have the, the the board projected on the screen. I'm like, what what if I did this? And I put my finger on something. And I rolled a four, and I go one two. Oh, I landed on the base of a, a ladder on my second move of four. I move to the top and then continue three four. And they're like, no, that's not how it works. I'm like, well, you said when I land on the base of a ladder. Well, when you end your move, oh, when you end your movement, okay. Well, maybe change your rules to that. Mm-hmm. And it's just a continual, and it's, it takes a good length of time. But it's like it's just a huge eye opener. Then I, then I have them put the in the order that they would like to see them in a rule book. Mm-hmm. and then then I review it then I say okay what's first and then you're like most of them say theme is first and then I get them to read out their stories that they made up about what this is theme is about and then second and I get people to read out their things and then even by this time there's still tons of things not for theme or setup but later on that I find that uh, they're still mixing up Mm -hmm. uh, which is great
0: yeah yeah um, I, I had some to do, do something similar where they on a Google Doc they put up their instructions um, for peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and then I put them up on the board and we laughed at like ha ha ha, you know, as all the different ones. The other thing I've done too is you know uh, tangrams is I have them sit back to back, and so one one yeah. person will have the pieces. I've done this in
1: a work workplace uh, communication exercise.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's I think probably where I got that idea from, and it's it's really funny because you know. For my students, too, a big part of this piece is the empathy piece is, you know, trying to understand that other people think different than you. How can you communicate effectively? How can you share your ideas without um, railroading them or yelling at them (laughs) or whatever (laughs) else? You know, how can you treat them decently while you are frustrated at the same time? And I think, especially when kids put their own work on the table, and they may not like the feedback that they get, you know, there's ways that you can handle it. In fact, this year for the first time, when um, before they play tested their little race games, I put one of my games that's that I'm currently working on on the table. and you know, we spent the whole day, each each period, I would play test my game with the kids just so they could see how I listen to people, how I write down ideas, how I don't argue. Wow, I don't cool. talk. And, and that actually also really helped them because they saw that you can get a lot of really good ideas. They would see me stop a game, restart it with this new idea, try it out. And they saw how, how do you do
1: that with 30 people? What do you mean? You want to play with four or five or,
0: um, so when I do my classes are about 15, 16, 17. Okay. Okay. And, and so I'd have four kids play test, and everyone else would just be watching and, oh. But oh, wow. I would ask all of the people watching their ideas and thoughts, you know, as much, yeah. if not before then, the people who are actually playing it, so that they could also, you know, by going to them first, making sure they were engaged in it. Because, yeah, if you're doing one thing and if you're not actually getting to play it, then um, attention could easily wane away and drift away. But they... But especially since they knew it was one of my games, and I was asked, like, I need your help. Like, this game has cool. problems. This yeah. is not a joke. This is not a fake thing. This is a real game that has problems. This is what I want, I think. And, you know, so kids would ask the question, "They're like, can you blah, blah, blah? I'm like, huh. I don't know. What do you think? Should I? And kids like, well, you could. You know what I mean. It was really interesting. It's It's the first time I've ever done it, but and it was honestly, I got so much good feedback from it. (laughs) So I'm like, I'm going to do this more often. This is great. So can I
1: can I come to your kids' class? Well,
0: I want to come to yours. So yeah, standing (laughs) off or whatever. That's really cool. Well, this has been so helpful and so interesting. Um, Pleasure. What are you most excited about? What's upcoming for you?
1: Well, I mean, besides the Fail Faster playtesting journal, which is because that's like my baby and my thing that mm-hmm. I'm making, and I can't wait for to hear the responses and see what people are thinking about it. Uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King, as far as a game, is coming out sooner than that, which is exciting, mm-hmm. um, from Burnt Island Games. That's a Kickstarter on February 5th. And then Complexity, with Sen and I designed that. That's coming out sometime in February on Kickstarter. Um, a nice Thailand game. And uh, I have my own design coming out this year later this year probably summer or fall called draw your own conclusions mm-hmm. it's a drawing game with a twist of course of course <laughs> yeah and uh, an, uh a one versus many game in called mind management from maple games coming out later this year um based on a comic book called uh mind management which is one of my favorite comics of all time so i was super excited to be able to work oh, on that's this That's cool that's really cool yeah and a escape room in a box with an ip that we can't say yet oh yeah. Oreo cookies. <laughs> Yum.
0: Wouldn't that be I great? Would to, I, don't I don't know wouldn't why. want to escape that room. I don't know why in the world that popped into my head. Probably because <laughs> I want to eat Oreo cookies pretty much every moment of my life. <laughs> well, Jay, this has been so incredibly interesting and helpful. I'm so glad we've gotten the chance to meet and talk and hang out. This is great. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, I'll totally like, hunt you down at cons and we'll play games and – Playtest each other's stuff. That'd be awesome. Well, how can other people out there in La La Land, how can other people get a hold of you contact you if they want to find out more?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the journal has a website at failfaster.ca so that one's pretty easy. Um, Sen and I have created a blog called bamboozlebrothers.com and there is a button on there called the steps and we've actually blogged about and detailed the process that we took in order to get our games published. Mm -hmm. And it's just like 33 steps from designing through to uh, pitching and pub- and and contracts and everything on how to get your game uh published. Cool. So that I know that yeah, that's been uh, it's it's almost getting a bit dated now actually. We'll have to revisit that someday. But it's uh, it's how we got published. So at the time it's all accurate.
0: Right, right. Yeah, well I mean I think that's true for everything, you know, I mean I'm always all of us are. If you're if you're growing, you're never doing things the same way. The right. you know over and over again. So well, have you ever seen the one video last thought? Um, it's a YouTube video. It's super great. I talk about it all the time. It's called um, Finish Not Perfect. It's 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 oh, by design. Really ilu- Illustrated. It's like a minute. Jake Barnes, I think his name is. I should know it considering how many times I've seen it. But it's like a minute, twenty one seconds, and it just oh. it, it's a really great one. You
1: should look into. I'll it. watch it right after. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, but basically it talks about how it's important for artists to finish things because you're going to hate whatever you do now, a year from now, because you're naturally going to have gotten better. And so by, you know, why f- try to make it perfect now when you can finish it and then move on to the next step and the next step? And your students might actually find this really helpful. I uh, I show this one to my students all the time. So, well, that's cool. And so we'll put a link to that up as well. Yeah. Um, but- I-
1: I have one quote as the last thing because you had a nice quote I got a nice quote too yeah Ira Glass, Ira Glass had a really good quote and I'm only paraphrasing because it's a lengthy one but it's I think it's awesome mm-hmm. is that anybody who has a, um, a liking uh, likes a certain type of medium enough where they have this, the ability to decide what is good and bad quality in that medium mm-hmm. and then they decide to partake and create their own thing in that medium mm-hmm. so this is obviously we're talking about board games could be any kind of art of any kind sure um, because they're own barometer for what is good and bad is is high they invariably can assess their own initial offerings in that medium as crap right and so uh unfortunately a lot of people give up and a lot of people say well i guess i'm not supposed to be a blank Mm -hmm. i'm not supposed to be that i'm this is somebody in the universe telling me they don't do this because i suck at it obviously and it's too bad that that's the reaction because it is only through those uh, uh, results that you will get the experience that you will eventually gain you the ability to create uh, higher quality uh, in that medium.
0: That's really, that's, that's honestly, that is the struggle that my students have is it's really hard for them to see the work. You know, a game like, Hey, That's My Fish, which is so incredibly perfect and simple for what it is, but it does it so well. And they'll see a game like that and they are think, you know, well, my game is crap because it's nothing like that. And I always put in the context of, if you wrote a book right now, you would have all the words, but would it be really published, ready? And they're like, no. Right. And they're, and they're used to seeing that progress in writing because they've done all that writing throughout their whole school career. This is their very first game design experience or meaningful game design experience. Yeah. And it's really hard. I'm going to look that up because I'm going to well, print that out and hang that all over my room because they well, need to understand that. They they will judge themselves and their success by uh, the published games they love. And I don't do that,
1: you know? No, and you can... I mean, I don't can't talk to the designer of that game, but I know for, for Sen and I, we designed 10 fully... You know, uh, gamma meaning fully publisher ready games before we got one game signed. Mm-hmm. That's not talking about all the other games that we half designed and, and abandoned. Right. Finished, fully developed 10 games, and then we finally get one game. Signed. So it's, you know, it's not your yeah. first game out of the gate. It's right. not going to be awesome.
0: Right. That's what we talk about too is, you know, um, the difference between it- a successful game designer and one who's not as
1: perseverance. You know. It is. We uh, we have our thing on our blog we call the MVP, where you have to f- stay motivated, you have to be versatile, and you have to have uh, positive persistence. Mm-hmm.
0: There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot end on a better note than that. Jay, thank you so, so much for being on the show. This has been so great, and I'm so thrilled, so thank you. Thank you. Cool. Well, this has been Kathleen Mercury with another effervescent episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. You can find all of my game design teaching resources for free at kathleenmercury.com. And you can contact me via the website or via Twitter, where I'm at Mercury with seven Ms. And until next time, I hope everybody has a lot of fun. Enjoy your students and the work you do. It's meaningful and impactful. And until next time, take care.